your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome to Iowa Week here on Off Tackle Empire. Let's We're- go, game week, Iowa. And for assistance with Iowa, I'm going to crack open a win fight tribrusher of the week, which is the Estrella Jalisco uh, Mexican Lager. What does it matter what the name is? You know, what does it matter who the assistant brewmasters are? It's a Mexican Lager. You know exactly what you're going to get. Maybe some years it's a little better than usual. Maybe some years it's a little worse. But as long as it's on that big old contract, it's going to be the same macro Mexican Lager, uh, no matter what the label says. Mexican Lager, the outside zone of beers. Iowa. What can we expect from this particular version of Kirk Ferentz, Iowa? We know that he is not angling for a contract extension, so it's probably unlikely to be a banner year. Yeah, and looking back over Iowa's 2017, it was kind of an unremarkable Iowa season. They end up 8-5 and five with a bowl win in one of the more hilarious ice rink games I've ever seen in my life. You remember that pinstripe bowl where they decided to play a game in a baseball stadium in December where <laughs> there are no heating coils because there's no baseball in the winter, so the entire field was just literally a sheet of ice, and trying to watch people either cut or tackle, and that was, again, great entertainment for the week between Christmas and New Year's, but not anything resembling an actual football game. But still, you come out on the end of that rock fight, that's not a bad cap to... A decent year, but a year in which you maybe left some games on the field that you would have liked to have. Who did they play in that one? Boston College. Boston, oh, Boston College, the only so, team that's more Iowa than Iowa yeah, under the, Steve Adazio. The two runningest of the running teams. Time to dive. And so, yeah, honestly, I mean, it, it may as well have been those teams in that game because it's not like either wanted to throw the ball at all anyway. So, yeah, looking over Iowa's schedule, you have two losses by the same score of 17-10, to 10, and one of those was an overtime game. So you might be tempted to think that this is an Iowa team that couldn't put up the offense, but they actually cracked 50 points on a couple of occasions, including one hilarious game against Ohio State, which probably knocked the Buckeyes out of the playoff and put a certain bloodlust in them the following week that I'm still not you know, psyched about, but it happened. Well, it's amazing because you know that loss just made less and less sense as the season progressed, and... And then it was absolutely, there was no question that Ohio State, uh, if you just look in terms of wins and losses and who they beat and who they lost to, had a better resume than Alabama, but the playoff committee was unwilling to forgive a blowout loss to a very average Iowa team. It's like, it was such a transgression that even though Ohio State was, you know, much more deserving in terms of wins and losses, you just can't do that to the brand of the college football playoff, is have the stink of 55 points by Iowa on you. Well, and but, you know, I don't want to get too far into Ohio State here in Iowa week, but the other Buckeye loss was also a blowout, albeit in the beginning of the season, to a very good Oklahoma team. But to look over the rest of Iowa's schedule, yeah, you have the, the excellent win over Ohio State that I don't think anyone saw coming. Think back to that week before. Tell me, did, you, did anyone really think Iowa was even going to keep that game especially close, let alone put a shit housing on Ohio State? No, no, nobody thought that. They figured they blew their wad as far as games like that were concerned after they just, just barely missed out on knocking off Penn State yeah, in September. That was one of the better games of the first month of the season that came down to a goal line play late in the game. Um, they weren't able to pull that one out. They had a tough loss at Michigan State the following week, and they had the overtime loss with Northwestern. But you know, over the course of the season, they did win two either three quadrangle games, although, and this has been the case for everyone in the quadrangle, they didn't beat Wisconsin. And it 
really wasn't very competitive. The only reason that Iowa scored at all was because of the continuing stellar play of Josh Jackson, whose two pick sixes were the only points Iowa had and really were their best offensive plays, which just giving the ball to Wisconsin and hoping that they let Hornbrook continue to throw. Well, as uh, former Golden Gopher Ric Flair once said, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And boy, there has not been a lot of beating of the man going down in the Big Ten West lately. Now, if you go further west than the Big Ten West, uh, Iowa did manage to beat the best Iowa State team in recent memory in a classic version of El Asico that was a 44-41 overtime victory. A team about which they do not care at all. Don't get me wrong. No, no, no. Couldn't give less of a damn about Iowa State at all. That's why we never hear about Iowa State from Iowa fans or Iowa writers. Uh, we, they couldn't. They could be less interested in that game if only the darn state legislature would let them stop playing it. Uh, but to go back to what you mentioned about the game, actually no sarcasm about how good that game was. It was a thriller. It was a classic. Not something that we typically see. Usually these two teams don't get to 41 points between them. But it was, yeah, it was a very good, very watchable game. And from the looks of things, Matt Campbell might have Iowa State as a slightly more respectable version of itself. So, hey, at least from now on, when you lose to Iowa State every other year, people won't think it's quite so embarrassing. That's funny because that's one of those games that, like, objectively, if, with no bias, was was really quite good. But uh, Iowa fans think, well, it's Iowa State, they're going to be terrible and Oh, this is so frustrating. Oh, we're so embarrassed by this win. And it ended up being an overtime shootout between two eight-win teams at the end of the season. So, really, in perspective, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty important and pretty thrilling. But at the time, they weren't able to enjoy it. So, that's very Iowa, isn't it? It is. And the other thing that was quite Iowa is that there really hasn't been much in the way of an off-season story. They had um, quite a successful NFL draft season. They sent Josh Jackson and James Daniels. Um, Josie Jewell. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anyone. A lot of J people. Yeah, I don't think I'm forgetting anybody else. Uh, maybe I am in the late rounds. Uh, a couple other highly successful seniors. Akron Wobbly is gone now. I think he ended up getting picked up as a free agent somewhere. So they had a pretty successful senior class go out, but that's really all there was to it. It's just another silent season in Iowa, which is really just the way Kirk Ferentz likes it. If you were to picture his ideal leisure activity, I don't think it would be watching paint dry, I think it would be listening to the sound of paint drying. And when there's no other media or news in the air, that's when you can really hear the sound of that primer coat as it hardens. It's now that squeaking that you may have heard, uh, how I want you to picture that is that every one of those squeaks is someone saying, Kirk Ferentz's buyout, Kirk Ferentz's buyout, Kirk Ferentz's buyout. And then, yeah, so this is how those of you who are not Iowa fans will be able to simulate what life is like within the greater Iowa sphere because we imagine that at any point, in any conversation, whether you're expecting it or not, that little topic might just come up for, for no reason at all. So I'm, I'm not even talking about just football conversations. I mean, you can be discussing whether you can be talking about politics, you can be talking about uh, pretty much anything. Without you even realizing it, an Iowa fan might have slid into the room with a metaphorical squeaker toy in his mouth and decided now is a good time to go to town on that thing and bring up Kirk Ferentz's buyout. You were saying something, something about Iowa. What no, were you talking see, about? R2 over there is kind of more your PJ Fleck high energy type of dog who's just, you know, oh man, look at me, I'm making noise. It's not even my turn right now, but look at all the noise that I'm making. I'm making noise, I'm changing the game. Whereas uh, over here you see Moon who is very much Kirk Ferentz, Iowa. He shed. Yeah. He shed. Yeah, you wouldn't even notice that uh, it's awake if you didn't really look at it, but... 
Yeah. Solid. R2 sheds enough hair that really I'm surprised he's not bald like PJ. Um, we all know you're bald, PJ. You can shave your head if you want, but we see the pattern, man. So Meanwhile, again, like Iowa, I keep looking over at Moon and thinking, oh, yeah, she is still awake, isn't she? Yep. So looking ahead to this year for Iowa, they've got a decent amount of talent returning on both sides of the ball, but they're going to be lopsided in, in some ways. They've got a good amount of stuff coming back on the lines. Skill positions, the further away you get from the ball on both sides, there's less proven experience coming back. Yeah, they lost a lot of their back seven, which uh, we're now getting to the heart of some teams that are losing a lot on defense. But uh, That's a theme we're going to notice throughout a lot of the previews we're doing here is that the Big Ten graduated a huge crop of linebackers last year. They tend to be easier guys to replace than top-shelf defensive linemen or defensive backs. They're kind of like the running backs of defense in that way. But still, especially for Iowa, we've seen in the past that inexperience at linebacker can be a big problem because it leads to a lot of big plays that shouldn't have been big plays, even if your scheme is sound and everybody else is doing things right. Replacing that many guys at once can be a problem. So yeah, we'll start on the defense with them. Um, as we mentioned, their whole linebacking group is gone, and they had a pretty good group with Josie Jewell, as you mentioned, he was, a, he was drafted, uh, and then Bo Bauer and Ben Neiman both graduated as well, and those guys both started for most of the four years they were there, so it's a ton of experience, hundreds and hundreds of tackles going out the door, and because they played for four seasons for so many snaps, there really are no clear proven replacements, or even guys who you know for sure are going to be able to do the job. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> when you consider that Iowa, like many teams in the Big Ten West, is essentially diet Wisconsin in that they want to uh, run the ball and then stop the exact running plays that they themselves run, uh, that's not really ideal for what you you know for what you'd hope for Iowa to be able to win those seventeen to ten games. Yeah, it's not. And beyond losing the three starters, one of the guys they had projected to start, Aaron Menz, is going to be out with an injury for quite a while. It's not clear exactly how long. But so now you're basically down three and a half starters because he would have been the next guy in. Um, they have some you know there are names further down on the depth chart that you've heard maybe before if you pay a little attention to this team, but. Again, not guys who have played a whole lot before. And it'll be interesting to see because the last two crops of linebackers, basically, Ference has just opted to throw three freshmen in there, let them suck as underclassmen so that when they're upperclassmen, they've all been playing together forever, they know the scheme inside and out, and they're great. It'll be interesting to see if he does that because none of the guys that I was referencing a second ago would fit that mold. Um, but it's a, something they had success with, and given that they've got some youth elsewhere on the team, it might make sense to kind of use this as a developmental year and make 2019 the year when you swing for the fences with seniors across the board. Well, and you got a bit of a margin for error against some, some of the weaker offenses because you've got a really good, experienced defensive line that uh, should make linebacking just a little bit easier to adapt to. Yeah, and... They lose a decent starter in Nate Budgeta, but he was really—I mean—he was an above-average tackle, and that's about all he was. The guys that they have coming back, um, the two Nelsons, Epineza, um, and then Lattimore and Golston in the middle—they really should be a pretty good defensive line. It will remain to be seen. You know, looking at them before the season, you never expect Iowa's defensive linemen to be that good, but there, it feels like there's always a guy who develops to be a little bit better than you expect. Um, and speaking of that, that's certainly going to be the case in the defensive backfield as well, where Josh Jackson, a guy who only started for one year but had 
colossal impact, eight interceptions, and then as a second-round draft selection, was able to go pro early. So you're pretty confident at this point in Phil Parker's ability to find and develop impact defensive backs. Yeah, especially after uh, Josh Jackson basically replaced Desmond King, who was almost the same kind of player in that he could create uh, momentum out of nowhere by just taking one to the house. Yeah, so defensively, they'll probably be okay. Um, depending on how they fill the linebacker spot, they could be better than okay in the short term. But the intermediate to long-term prognosis, at least, is, is going to be pretty good. They're, they're good up front. They're good in the back end. Filling in the middle is usually the easiest part. Looking at their offense, most of the losses here are decent players, but guys that are replaceable. The offensive line has a couple of notable departures. James Daniels leaving early. Um, because of that, he has to play for the Bears now. And then Sean Welsh, who recently retired, I believe, after getting a free agent shot um, with Washington, I want to say. So a couple of guys gone who were at least NFL, you know, getting an NFL eyeball. But again, you tend to assume that the interior line, they're going to be fine. The real interesting thing here is what they do at tackle, where last year they had a potential breakout candidate in Alaric Jackson, who was then mysteriously suspended. He's been reinstated. He's only a redshirt sophomore, and then Tristan Wirfs, a positively massive human being, was um, the other tackle for much of the year after any kind of surprise turn. They go young at tackle, which typically is not how they go. We've usually seen Iowa play younger guys on the interior of the line and then move them out to tackle once they've proven they know what they're doing. The key to the offense is going to be Nathan Stanley. He showed an awful lot of promise last year in his first uh, year as a starter, and really, I think, is... By far the most, I mean, of course, the quarterback is the key player sure. in most <laughs> offenses, but, you know, considering the departures that they've had, it is the most, uh, one of the most experienced returning players, even, and is, is going to be the guy on whom this offense's success hinges. Yeah, and because of the turnover on the offensive line, uh, because of the losses at running back, not only with Akram Wadley, but the top backup whose name escapes me, Mitchell, maybe? Um, no, I don't think that's it. What happened with Sean Daniels? Oh, he's been gone for a couple years. Really? Yeah. Uh, um, I didn't watch that much football last year. Yeah, but <laughs> it, because of the departures in the run game, you wonder if this might be a good time for Iowa to orient its offense a little bit more around the passing game. And before you fall out of your chair laughing at that concept, they have a lot of their receivers back. Um, Nick Easley, um, Amir Smith-Marset. So they've got a couple options on the outside. Not that the availability of receiving options has ever before prompted them to go to a happy passing game, but between those guys and the tight end group they have, maybe that's the direction they want to go. Because Noah Fant is a guy who right now is getting a ton of pub as a as basically the best tight end in the draft class for next year. Well, if you look in their passing record books, you see what could very well be their offensive strategy next year. Chuck Long. <laughs> that might very well be what they uh, try they can do because that is well within Stanley's skill set. At the very least, try to make the defense think that you could connect on some of those. See, what happened there was there was a player for Iowa once named Chuck Long, and it's also you see what he did. It was, it was pretty good. So, so yeah, with with Stanley coming back. He's got to have better accuracy on the deep ball. He can throw it as far as you want him to, but the timing just wasn't there on a number of occasions last year, which in a number of close games they played could have made a substantial difference in how their season turned out. So improved accuracy, especially on the deep ball from him, would be helpful. Um, 
he's kind of fun to watch though in that he's a little bit like Ben Roethlisberger and not just because he wears the same colors, but because he's like, he's very difficult to bring down because he's just so big. So it, you know, like occasionally he'll be wearing a guy like a cape and then he'll flick a 20 yard out with no problem. And then other times he'll be standing in the pocket untouched, heaves the ball deep and overshoots a guy by 10 yards. So a little more consistency from him would go a long way. But again, for a first year starter, not bad at all. And there's, you know, optimism that he'll improve considerably because it was only his second year on campus. He didn't have the benefit of a red shirt like many quarterbacks do. Well, you know, he gets nervous when there isn't a defender actually hanging off of him, and then he can't can't throw the ball. Well, yeah, (laughs) he doesn't because he's not sure if they're coming. See, if they're on him, then he he knows they're coming. He knows how much time he's got, which is no time because this guy's already climbing on my helmet. Um, So the last thing I guess we should cover is that um, Akram Wadley, as we mentioned, did leave. He carried most of the, he had most of the carries that they had from the running backs last year. So it can, it's kind of up in the air as to what they're going to do. Um, Ivory Kelly Martin and Torin Young were the two guys who spelled them for the most part last year, a kind of lightning and thunder respectively combination. But we'll see how they opt to distribute those carries and who ends up being most effective. I don't think we've really seen enough from either of those guys to predict anything outstanding from either of them. But they'll both have the opportunity. Yeah, basically we, we haven't seen enough for, you know, un, the kind of unbridled optimism that always leads to an injury of an or suspension or mysterious disappearance of an Iowa running back. But the other thing is that we, there's really no reports from spring ball on just how much they drilled the, the maximum allowable high-stepping distance for <laughs> running towards the end zone because that is going to be a very, very important issue with, of course, their most experienced uh, high-stepper on the edge, Akram Wadley, departed. Yeah, so speaking of running backs, that is, when we look at this recruiting class, there's not, both because of the profile of the typical Iowa recruiting class and because of the state of their roster, there isn't a whole lot of obvious day-one impact guys. Um, when you look at the balance of the class, it's kind of interesting that they delved into Wisconsin pretty deep for this group. Um, a couple of excellent offensive linemen, and also a guy who could force the issue at running back in Henry Guile, who I've heard from people who know might end up being kind of the next big thing at Iowa uh, in the backfield. So maybe he forces his way in immediately as a freshman. It wouldn't be out of the question, certainly a position where you could see that early. What do you see in Iowa's schedule for this year? Well, before I get to the schedule, I will have to comment that perhaps it makes sense for them to expand their territory because to catch Wisconsin, I must become Wisconsin. Uh, With it established that Nathan Stanley is going to be much more of a focal point than your average Iowa quarterback in any given year, uh, what will he be facing this year as far as the schedule is concerned? There's the opener against Northern Illinois, which is always a problem for any Big Ten team, even though they're not quite the... Uh, Mac destroying Northern Illinois of years gone by. That didn't stop them from beating Nebraska with a big assist from Tanner Lee. Yeah, this is a peak Iowa schedule, particularly towards the beginning, because the non-conference, not only do you have... I just saw that third game. Not only do you have Northern Illinois, a Mac team that could very easily beat you, not only do you have Iowa State, a feisty Big 12 team that almost beat you last year. That you're always embarrassed to lose to as well. And it's their Super Bowl, of course. Let's not forget that. Every time you mention we have to remember, it's Iowa State Super Bowl. They're going to try way harder. They care way more. We have to bring that up. We have to bring it up or, or the, the universe will stop spinning. Uh, 
So you've got that game, and then the third matchup, uh, Northern Iowa. Oh, man. Has, has anything bad ever happened to Iowa playing against Northern Iowa before? Oof, man. Uh, in particular, <laughs> I mean, let's let's go beyond Northern Iowa. How about just in general, um, top-of-the-line FCS programs in the Great Plains? Yeah, and now, I'm, look, I'm not going to pretend I know anything about Northern Iowa this year. Maybe there's nothing to be concerned about, but... That's still a game where you know every single player on that roster from within the state of Iowa is going to be playing with blood in their eyes because of how motivated they are to prove that they should have been given a scholarship to Iowa. I mean, Iowa takes enough in-state players who aren't that well-regarded that the guys who are left are certainly going to feel slighted. So, yeah, good luck with that. And then, But then the thing is, whether they've come through that clean or not, it's not like Iowa expects to be in the national championship picture. I expect. So who really cares if they drop one of these games? Well, if, you, if you're not hitting on all cylinders early next season as Iowa, you're going to have a little bit of a problem because right there, week four, let's see if you're any good or not. Here's Wisconsin. Um, they're coming to Kinnick, so you've got no excuses. If you want to go to the, the conference championship game next year, that's a game you're going to have to win. And looking it up, uh, Northern Iowa did in fact go to what is this? The uh, yeah, the quarterfinals of the FCS where they lost to South Dakota State. Uh, so not quite the runner-up performance from a few years ago with uh, Aaron Bailey uh, as one of the quarterbacks. You knew I was going to tie it back to Illinois somehow, but the fact that I'm even that I'm even bothered to look this far into Northern Iowa is uh, we interrupt Iowa football coverage here on Off Tackle Empire to bring you something more relevant to Iowa interest, which is, of course, wrestling. Live coverage of wrestling right here from Love Shack Studios. Back to the neutral position now. And Moon goes in for the double leg, but R2 with the escape. Moon now sneaking around the side. Moon continuing to be aggressive with these shots now, though. Moon continues to try to drop and get the underhook in. But R2's not letting him get any leverage at all. Moon with a shake off there. Moon now adopting a defensive strategy on the ground here. <laughs> R2, hey, be gentle. Moon's gone to the shoulder roll, and she's up. Now back reset to neutral position. R2 using the table as cover. Right, break up, yes we are still recording. And Moon now with the roll, Moon on her back. That's gonna be some back points for R2. Uh, yep, they're ruling it a two-point near fall for R2. Oh, good boy. <laughs> uh, reset. They're back to their corners now. And the second period begins here. And that will conclude Iowa week here on Off Tackle Empire. Uh, sure, we may have missed a lot of the rest of the season, but uh, wrestling's kind of what a lot of the locals really uh, care about anyway. So we figured that we would just uh, stick close to tradition. And we're, Look, we're trying to actually reach out to you guys. We're trying to throw you a bone, Iowa people. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!